Hey there, everybody. James here from ATP to introduce today's episode. We did a recorded Twitter space on a Wednesday afternoon slash evening discussing a wide range of topics, including an international roundup, talked quite a bit about Nathan Patterson, Anthony Gordon's role with Everton, Jordan Pickford, Richarlison, Gary Mina returning to training, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's future as far as this season goes and beyond, Andros Townsend's ACL injury, unfortunate as it is. We also touched on the recent comments made by Luca Dean regarding his time at Everton and his experience with Rafa Benitez. And we end with a discussion about Everton's lack of sleeve sponsor for this season and some rumors that have emerged regarding that. Before we get started, uh, just a note that There are a couple audio issues, namely on Ryan's end, just with some uh, static that he was cutting in and out, so apologies if you want to skip through that. In addition, there was some issues uh, in post-editing with the levels because people were coming in all over the place, different audio levels, and kind of a pain in the butt to fix, but I tried my best to get them as even as I possibly could. If it's really bad, I apologize, but I've tried to listen through, and it seems like it's at least manageable if you have to adjust your volume. Again, apologies. There's also at one point some very mild profanity used, so just a heads up there. I did mark the episodes as explicit. It's a family show. We made an exception for this episode. Uh, But anyways, again, if you enjoy it, please do leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on all social media. You can find the link in the description. Otherwise, let's take it away. for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. We have some good news and we have some bad news over the last week or so. And I think a lot of good uh, pieces of information to discuss. I think some people might have some hot takes. (laughs) We do have some. We have some hot takes in store. And, and like I said before we got started, firstly, uh, thanks to those of you who are listening. Appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening after the fact, this is being recorded. We're going to release it uh, as a podcast as well. And it's being recorded on Twitter so you can listen back. We are going to just run through some topics. Definitely try to get, if you want to speak on any one particular topic, feel free to put your hand up. Love to get you on the pod um and yeah i think we just kind of take it away ryan we'll get to your stuff as well ryan put a plenty of interesting stats together as he is wont to do as is his modus operandi um but we're going to start with talking about the world cup qualifiers uh u.s men's national team didn't completely blow it which is always positive i'm assuming i know ryan watched alex i'm assuming you probably caught some of it yeah, I don't think you could ask for more about that, but I'm not sure how many Evertonians really want to listen to the <laughs> glorious U.S. men's national team home win against Panama. I mean, come on. I mean, come on. That's this some... is the American Tommy podcast, Ryan. Are we Americans yeah, first or Evertonians first? <laughs> yeah, that just means we're American, but it is the Toffee podcast, not the U.S. national team. We love Greg Berhalter podcast. So <laughs> That podcast does not exist and will never exist. It would not have a big audience, that's for sure. <laughs> but 
but there were a lot of Everton players out on international watch. Uh, it does look like Alex Awobi being suspended from red cards is probably a good thing. Maybe it would have helped Nigeria, but the after effects of that match were pretty ugly. There's some strange things that happen across international break, but laser pointers, all sorts of other things. Yeah, that was wild, huh? Yeah, that's you know, Africa's its own thing, man. Qualifying has it's very unpredictable. Concacaf isn't much better, you know. We can't totally say things are the wild, wild west out there. But yeah, there were some bad moments there. Um, I'm very happy happy we have VAR in Concacaf, or else all sorts of crazy things would happen. But we had a lot of Everton players out on international watch, or at least a couple of them, and I definitely watched. Um, Nathan Patterson's first match um, against Poland's B-side, as well as quite a bit of the Austria match. And it seems like Pickford played pretty well against England, and Anthony Gordon was playing with U21. So some people were out there playing for sure. Yeah, I mean, the Nathan Patterson thing, I mean, I think maybe we just, and Richarlison as well, but Patterson, like you said, Ryan, I like you threw in the little, the B-squad dig, because the second, within like the first 10 minutes of Nathan Patterson playing for Scotland, the furor of Evertonians was really, really... uh, provoked everyone's frustrated with the way the season's been going right back concerns we bring in this kid we've talked about it so much already but um clearly it's not at least up until this point uh he's not a player that frank lampard trusts enough to go into a relegation battle with um do you think just getting both of your perspectives and then if anyone again if anyone in the audience wants to chime in on any one particular topic feel free to put you know, raise your hand uh, or ask to come on stage. But do you think Frank Lampard's mind was changed at all during this international break? I mean, he watches the kid every day in training. Um, curious what you guys feel his prospects are for the remainder of the season. There was a obviously a good article in The Athletic the other day talking about stuff that we've kind of been saying on the pod for a little while now where, like, we needed a right back. Was he the right back we needed for this exact moment? I think that's a, a fair question to ask. I mean, I have some strong opinions on the topic, but I want to hear what Alex has to say. And then I want to hear what our listeners have to say here, too, because I feel like a lot of people keep pushing back on my opinion on this one. And I and that's good. You know, I want to hear that, but I want to understand it maybe a little bit better. So, Alex, if you've got an opinion on Nathan Patterson, go for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about the fact that he's probably currently more suited to be a wing back, which, I mean, to be honest, most younger fullbacks are simply because, like, the defensive side of the game. I mean, obviously it takes instinct, but a lot of practice and um i think i think he was pretty impressive with scotland it was exciting to see i mean but it doesn't necessarily always translate to the premier league uh nor does it necessarily translate to the system um i don't have any strong feelings regarding like should he be playing now or not but i do think that you know we're a couple wins away from like maybe not necessarily having to have the debate like if we string together a couple wins um and we feel at least decently comfortable, I think he'll get minutes, um, maybe possibly more sub-minutes. Yeah, I think that would be the ideal, right? I mean, you want to get this guy minutes, it's just a matter of what situation you do so. So, a couple things that I feel pretty strongly about. So, number one, the concept of that he plays for Scotland as an international really doesn't mean a whole lot, in my opinion. Um, It would mean something if they were playing great competition and he was playing in a similar system to the way that I think Frank wants to play. I think Frank eventually wants to play 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. That's what he played at Chelsea. That's what he played at Derby. I think that's how he wants to play. Yet he's not playing Patterson, and for good reason. So Patterson and Scotland, both matches, they're in essence playing a 3-4-3. He's playing wide right, in essence, as a wingback, midfielder, whatever you want to call it. And the thing is, I think Patterson showed exactly what he is. He showed nothing different than what he's shown in the past, in the type of player he is. And that is that he is 
really fast straight ahead. He can run off the ball. He can serve a ball pretty well at times. Um, I wouldn't say he's particularly skillful in the dribble, but he's effective enough. But I'm just not going to, I mean, he just, he doesn't get as much of a chance to show off his defensive abilities um, or really his kind of more dynamic level offensive skills. He's very straightforward right now. And look, he's got the natural gifts that you want in a player. You know, I mean, he's got size, he's got speed. He has some skill, some technical ability to some extent. But look, I mean, he, he doesn't really have to defend much in that scenario. Uh, he certainly doesn't defend much at Rangers. I mean, they're front foot the whole entire time. And I'm just sorry. I don't look at it, that match against Poland, for example, and say, you know, Arcadius Reca, the six foot two left back, he plays for Spezza, who's, I mean, he went by him once or twice. One time he cut in on goal because he slipped. I mean, I know he can attack somewhat. And I would expect him to do well. Yes, he's a Serie A player, but I would expect him to do well against someone of that caliber. So I just don't think he really necessarily showed anything we already knew. I don't think he's not playing because Frank doesn't think his offensive game can be maybe effective, certainly effective against a lower-level competition. But I just don't think now is really the time to be experimenting with that. And that's that's what my take is. It's not to say that he's a bad prospect. This is ignoring the fee. But I just there's nothing I saw in those matches that was A, a surprise, or B, something to suggest, yes, we he should be playing ahead of Seamus Coleman in a four. That's it. Yeah, I think that's that's. So my point is like, what, what about? The, I don't think that's very controversial, and I, I don't think it's derogatory. And and what I'm stuck with is I feel like so many Scots are just giving me so much crap about it. Like <laughs> you haven't seen him at Rangers, and how dare you offend? And no, what are you talking about, man? I freaking love Scott, and I, and I like the team. I actually think they have some talent, and and I like watching them. Story about that though, and and yes, I have seen. You've seen almost every single touch the guys had in the Scottish last two years at the Rangers. I watched the heck out of this guy. That's all I'm saying. I don't think there's anything really derogatory about that, but I really feel like I'm getting a lot of flack for it. And I, maybe it's misunderstood. Maybe I'm just presenting in a way that <laughs> makes me seem like a jerk, or I just trying to be contrary. And I'm really not. I'm just I don't know. I, I it's a little frustrating to me. I feel like people are mad at me about it, but I really don't mean it to be offensive. I just think we're in the situation we're in. Yeah, no, I, I think the theme I think that we've advocated for, right? There's there's certainly a need for some pragmatism from, from Frank in the next several games. Um, is that is putting this kid in this position in, in a four, even in a five, where he has to do a decent amount of defending, really the best option we have. And people say, yeah, he has to be better than, than Sheamus, but... Like you said, he's not often in a position where he's back to the wall having to defend for 90 minutes. And I think the situation kind of calls for a little bit of that right now. So you go with the personnel that you trust in Ryan. I mean, you certainly have a way of riling people up when you express your opinions. But, uh, you know, you see the tweets that are like, you know, how are Everton so bad and they're not still not playing this kid? And it's like, well... Well, yeah. all right. So, yeah. So let's put that in context, because I think a lot of people just assume that Coleman is off here. And I agree he's limited to both the time and defend. Um, watching someone go up and down the pitch as a wing back isn't really saying much. I mean, literally, I think he had like he, he had maybe duels in either of his, both his two matches. Uh, Patterson, you know what I mean? He's not. 
You're cutting out a little bit, Ryan. I think he won a couple of headers. What did you say? I said you're cutting out a little bit. Yeah, I just I don't think he's not necessarily defending in those matches. Right. To me. So if you look if you look at Seamus Coleman's numbers, they're not as bad as you may think, to be perfectly honest. I mean, look, he's not being super active. The people realize, so I think they're I think I went through Y Scout of twenty six right backs with more than five hundred minutes in the Premier League, right back being their primary position, his numbers aren't that bad. You know he's second in defensive duels one? Like he's only sixteenth in action, so he's not being super active. He's not winning a ton of balls. But actually attacking wise, he's taking decent care of the ball. He's not been as bad as people think. So so even in an attack, just looking at the numbers again, let's not I'm not going overboard. He's ninth in successful attacking actions P ninety. Not many crosses. He's nineteenth out of twenty six. Crossing accuracy is second. Sixth most dribbles, we expect that, right? Success rate is eh. Fifth most offensive duels, tenth in success rate, eh. It's a mixed bag, but look, he's doing okay. He's actually, I mean, only Dean was higher than him in percentage tackle wins against the dribble at 61%. And he's got the second most interceptions and tackles on the team in total. So, look, I'm just saying he's not been so bad that anyone should be able to confidently say, well, anyone's better than him. Right. I mean, my God, look at left back, for heaven's sakes. Why aren't we saying that about Mikalinko then? Yeah, I, I just think it's it's every time, and it's not all that often, as you said, the stats kind of bear it out. It's just that inherent bias of like people see Seamus Coleman get beat one time and it's like God we need to get someone else in here but considering the amount of minutes he's played at his age you got to give the guy a lot of credit he needs to be definitely wound down and should have been done a long time ago but I just don't think in a situation go ahead go ahead well put things in perspective right Patterson has played barely over 600 minutes in the Scottish Premier League in his entire career like this isn't some this isn't like Jermaine Frimpong that was at Celtic that played a whole season or something that was ready to go I saw links to Aaron Hickey today who's Scottish left back young player very dynamic player an interesting player at Bologna um, that Newcastle was looking at I mean Hickey's played an entire year so far this year in Syria ah so it's not even that you know, Mikalinko was playing in the Champions League consistently, right. a routine starter, the same situation for his national team, and I don't think Scotland's any better than the Ukraine necessarily, maybe a little bit, but Mikalinko was playing every single match. So, again, you've got a player who just hasn't played them. So, so you see this, is, but, man, that's taking a lot on faith. He hasn't even played right back half the time. And Rangers is always, I think, they're different situations, and people have to understand at least, I hope they understand the perspective that every player is different. In his particular situation, I just don't see anything that he's demonstrating that would indicate we should be confident with him starting it right back. Now, if we play wingbacks, maybe. But even then, even then, then the real question comes, okay, say he never gets a chance this year. Say to Alex's point, we don't, it, it doesn't end up being close. You know, we struggle the whole rest of the time. He doesn't give a chance. We run Coleman into the ground. Then what? I mean, seriously, it's a really good question. I mean, would you anticipate then with that lack of game time and experience, would you trust him to be the starting right back next year? I'm curious what people's thoughts are on this. I've said my piece for sure. Um, Yeah, very interested to hear what people think. Yeah, again, if anyone in the the audience wants to come up and talk a little bit about Nathan Patterson, give your thoughts. What what strikes me and Ryan when you were talking about, you know, the lack of playing time, which and like just overall lack of experience, it reminds me of like the Niels and Kunku comments that have happened in the past couple seasons where obviously we had Luka Dean at the time, but it's like, why don't we just play Niels and Kunku? And it's like, well, he was playing in the fourth division of France. He's another entirely unproven guy. Just because you don't know enough about a player doesn't mean that he's going to immediately be better than the stuff you're watching now. Um, and I think Patterson is subject to a little bit of that. And look, he's, he's clearly one for the future. He's one that we hope can be Everton. Hope he's Everton's right back for the next 
decade. Comes in and just seamlessly replaces Seamus Coleman. And we have a real top prospect and elite talent on our hands with, as you said, Ryan, all the physical attributes, all the skills, um, which I guess at least going forward, if we can embody that Frank Lampard style of play and eventually play an attacking style, then you think he fits in. But for what we need at this moment, what the moment calls for, at the same time, I'm like, I just want to see this kid give it, give it a shot to see what he can do. Well, that's your heart. You know what I mean? Totally. I, I get that. But but that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm just trying to look at things a little more, you know, as an, as an analyst. I also don't you? think it's offensive. Perfect. Well, even his offensive game has some issues. But again, you know, you start to get to the point sometime where you're looking at a player and you're just you're just picking them apart because no player is perfect. Sure. So there is a happy medium. And I do recognize there's a time where you got to let someone loose and, and give him a shot. I just, man, do you really think this is the time to do that? If you're frank, would you do? I don't know, man. That's I do want to hear what other people think for sure. Seems like everyone's a little bit shy. Again, if anyone wants to come up, wide open. Nathan Patterson. Should he play? Alex, you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, or or just raise your hand and you can join us for, you know, upcoming topics. It doesn't have to be, you know, the current one or if you're afraid about the what we're talking about specifically. But yeah, I mean, if anyone, uh, as, as they said, if anyone wants to talk about Patterson, but, um, you know, switching gears just a little bit about some of the other guys that uh, played over the international break. I mean, Richarlison, he's back in the goals. He had three goals in two matches for Brazil, and Brazil is going to end up topping the Conmebol t- table for uh, World Cup qualifying. So that's always exciting, especially uh, saying that we have the Brazil number nine on the Everton uh, <laughs> roster. Maybe not Dude, for long, I- am I right? Yeah, Colombia. Oh, I feel so bad for them. I mean, looking back on it, they missed qualification by a point. And I mean, they had a match in late January against Peru in Colombia where they totally dominated the game. Maybe didn't get as many chances as they like. Peru created nothing and they scored on their one shot on goal in like the 83rd. And it was like a low drive to the near post that was not the best shot. I mean, how brutal is that? Even if they just tie that match. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just... It's just harsh, man. It's not easy to qualify out of there for sure. But yeah, Richie had like two of his goals were absolute tap ins. But you know, you got to be there, and he he did seem like he showed pretty well. I was watching him a little bit. Wish we could uh, get some of those tap in, some of that tap in action going at EFC. Hopefully, he comes back uh, ready to rock. We actually do have a couple people who want to come up. We had Nick first, so we'll bring Nick up, regular speaker in our spaces and member of the Discord as well. Hey, Nick, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear, man. How you doing? Awesome. I'm good. I'm uh, anticipating hopefully a U.S. qualification later tonight. So that's uh, that's all that's on my mind as long as we don't lose by six. Don't, don't jinx it, man. Don't jinx it. You know, I, I'm i a little even more confident than Trinidad where I thought it was a no-brainer. I just If Costa Rica scores six, I'd be shocked. So um, I think we're going. But um, talking about Patterson, obviously, um, I am kind of in the same headspace as Ryan and as the people that are being a little more diplomatic on this and if we were in the position in the table say we were even just safe right now 14th 15th we were clear then i'd say you know what we're not really playing for much this year throw the kid out there let him go but Ropper brought him in i know we don't like to talk about him but he wasn't good enough to play wasn't good enough for dunk to go in and frank clearly doesn't think the kid's ready i know we see that he's good going forward he has all the physical attributes but if we've had three managers one being a caretaker one who we don't really want to talk about all kind of have the same idea about this kid maybe he's just not ready yet and maybe he's not better than seamus coleman right now so at the end of the day for me not the right time to put him in when we're fighting relegation Um, I know Coleman obviously is way past his prime. That's Everton's fault for not finding a suitable replacement two years ago. But hopefully we can pick up some points soon, 
get clear of safety, and then maybe Patterson can get a run of games towards the end of the year if we don't need those points. That's all I got to say tonight, but thanks for having me on. Here's a question, too. If Patterson comes in in the summer, what's that look like now? Because I think it's very different. You know, if you start from the summer and you kind of have the whole – because think about what Southampton did with Livermento. Because that's a guy who was signed basically out of the U23s. Now, he was a big-time prospect. People knew who he was and won for big money. You know, it was 5 million pounds, something like that. But he was someone that we were linked to. In fact, I've heard from some people that that was an absolute done deal, in addition to Dumfries being done first, uh, both rejected by Rafa. That's very different, right? But poor, poor Nathan Patterson coming in in January. I mean, man, you're asking a lot. Yeah. That's a good point, Ryan. I think it's hard enough for a for a pro's pro, a veteran, to come into a new side in the January transfer window and get acclimated to maybe a new culture. I know with Patterson, it's not a crazy move, but with him and Mikolenko, the same thing. They're coming into a new side. They're both young. Veterans have a hard time adjusting to a new league when they come in midseason. So um, I wasn't expecting the kid to come in and light the world on fire. Um, but in the summer, maybe if the kid had a couple months to train and get acclimated, it could be a completely different story. Just a lot of pressure for the for both both Mikolenko and Patterson. Like things aren't things are really ugly right now, and I don't know. I I wouldn't go as far to say it'd be like damaging for their long term career to like be in the Everton side at the moment. But I think it definitely requires some spine, which I think many in the audience and many out there would say the squad desperately lacks. Are these kids really like the saviors? Are they the ones that are going to save us from relegation? I, I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in that. Well, I mean, Mikolenko yeah. may be more ready to play as a player, but I mean, the guy's sure. homeland is being, you know, mortared every day. I mean, God, can you even imagine what that's like? I mean, my heart goes out to those people. Can you? I just, I, that is really hard for me to wrap my head around. You know what I mean? Completely yeah, and I just, I just want to see. I just want to say to the point about, uh, you know, training over the summer and whatnot, it, it might be easy to forget we have Ashley Cole on the training staff now. So we've got two young fullbacks. That's not a not a terrible thought to have, right? Yeah, Tim and Baines in training are, like, totally, like, going at each other in different, like, ways. You yeah. like better. I'd love to see what that's like behind the scenes. We also have Owen. We'll get Owen up. Nick, if you want to go back to the audience, you can. If you want to stay up and chime in on future topics, you're more than welcome to. Let's get Owen up here. Hey Owen, you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. How you doing? Yeah, I've just been listening about Nathan Patterson there. I think it's easy for everyone to say, and I've done it myself. The people who we are actually playing instead of them, any playing any good, so why would why wouldn't they play him? But if you think about it, if it was our, if it was our sort of heads on the line, and we had to keep Evan in the Premier League, would would we play a completely unproven right back who has got no experience of playing really any kind of competitive football when the, you've got experienced players there who can play that it's just interesting what people think because when it's not our decision to make it it's very easy to say we'll play this player because we've seen this other player play all season and we don't think he's very good but we've not seen him and he's done well for Scotland and this that and the other it's it's more I think it's easier for us to, to say that than it would be to actually make that decision well so here's one Owen for you that's near and dear to your heart it's great to hear your voice my friend but um, let's say Frank is true to his word because I'm sure you got the impression as did I that Frank might try and be a little more pragmatic which I think is probably called for I mean some of his 
expansive high pressure attacks the last couple of away games didn't exactly uh i mean i can't totally blame the attack you know the plan necessarily against palace but against spurs that was to me very naive if he does plan to be a little more pragmatic and sit behind the ball or even possess the ball a little more in a more conservative manner i mean that changes the game a little bit on patterson don't you think i mean to me that also is yet another reason to say yeah maybe he's not the right one to be in there yeah, I would agree with that. I think if you're going to a more like deeper defence, maybe you know, let lower risk football to try and eke a few points out to make sure you don't get relegated. I think that sort of game plan would be fine to play Seamus Coleman in. Because I mean, don't you have don't you have to play that way right now? I mean, I, I know I know the next two matches, um, West Ham and Bur- God, that Burnley match is really big a turf. More those teams will concede possession a little bit, but either way, I mean, God, we shouldn't be flying up like crazy in attack anyway i mean don't we don't we have to be pragmatic against these guys i know i'm obviously i'm saying this to you in particular i know how you probably feel about it anyway um but you have to be at this point considering how how open we look when we get expansive yeah, this isn't just on Frank Lampard as well. I think if you if you look back, I think Rafa Benitez is, is sort of heralded as a pragmatic manager who gets things spot on, and that he he was literally the 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 definition of pragmatism is doing what fits the team. Well, he he did the opposite and just just I don't know, it's crazy some of the things he did, but. I, I do think we have to find that 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 system, that formation, that way of playing that can that the players can can just I don't know pick up pretty easily and just pick points up. I, I can get your bingo cards out, but going back to Carlo, I think what what he did really well around the Christmas time was realise that we're not playing so well and we're not we're not picking up points. So for the next for the rest of the season, can we? find a more defensive, more reactive system that can pick up points. And he did change the system every now and again himself, but it was mostly on the who we were playing. And, of course, he didn't get everything right also because some of the performances weren't were amazing with Carlo. But he, he, did, he did find a way of getting more points on the board than we have done for, for a number of seasons. And I, I just look at, I think if I was Frank Lampard now, I'd... I'd be looking to find an easy way. Like playing free in midfield would be a start. You know, no that question. kind of stuff that can just help us pick up points anyway. And like going back to Patterson, I could see why he wouldn't play Patterson right now when he's just looking for the instant hit. Patterson's also away. I mean, that's something that's really important. I remember Carlo, I thought, truly did his best job coming off the international break last year where I know we didn't get the results, but the setup against palace and against Spurs. Yes. You had the bright match in between where we literally had one central midfielder healthy and Tom Davies, which is just, Oh, I know. But, but the point is both those two setups, I thought those were our two best matches debatably. We just, you know, missed our, missed our chances. So to me, Patterson not being there is, is I think also another big factor. So uh, surely you can't expect to see him again in the next two matches. I, 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 and hopefully Frank has got something dialed up. I would hope now that he has some extra time with his team. Um, I don't know if he's that type of manager or not. We'll probably find out. Yeah. That, that, that'd be interesting. Um, uh, Talking about the defense, do you think that, I don't think there's much chance of it? But do you, do you think maybe if there's talk Mina coming back into training or getting up to fitness, do you think there's any chance he could maybe go to the four centre back? Do you think that could be on the cards? Oh man, I, 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 he in the past it sounds like he has played three in the back with us a few times. 
But as he said, I think, and I'm paraphrasing him, that that seemed to be out of necessity and lack of numbers in midfield. Um, but, but that being said, so, you know, I crunched all the numbers on the back line in particular, uh, you know, taking advantage of the break and the numbers are pretty dire, but I will say this, the numbers with Ben Godfrey playing one of the fullback positions from a defensive standpoint are pretty good. And if the goal is to kind of get our structure better and not concede a Mina return would be welcome. I mean, put it this way, Mina's numbers in terms of his contributions to the team are, I mean, it's dramatic. I mean, you know, his points per match is the highest. Pardon me? I could imagine. Oh, they're, they're, they're ridiculous. I mean, he's like the only one with a positive plus minus on the team. Um, I think I looked it up. The big stat is goals against per 90 when Mina is on the pitch this year is 1.11. No one is anywhere near that. It's like Gray next at one point. No, Delph next. With no, no minutes. So it's small sample size at 1.43. I mean, that is a massive difference last year he was the best too 1.02 and i actually think he helps our t- attack and possession better too he's a difference maker I, he really is i mean just just looking at the numbers it's crazy his xg plus minus it, it, besides not even playing that much is in total in aggregate 2.6 i mean that is a massive difference almost everyone on the team's negative so again that's big time number crunching these are small samples i mean playing time and plus minus is pretty inexact science so this is maybe more telling a story than what's reality but i mean god it's just as obvious when he plays i mean you'd have to be a blind man not to see but the thing is if you've got to play michael keen in any situation you got to play a little deeper yeah. i mean he's just not comfortable playing higher um but look i mean i i don't think a bad plan of attack against both west ham and burnley is to try and get them to come out of their shell and hit them on the counter and i mean if we're healthy up top you know what i mean if we're healthy and we've got Gray, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, who looks like he's finally knocked in a couple. Maybe Anthony Gordon coming off the bench. My dear, beloved Alex Awobi. Um, the point is, if those guys are all in there, those guys can play a little off the counter. So, I, I don't know. I know it's not Frank's style, but I agree with you. Adding three in midfield's got to be automatic. But Delph's got to be the guy. I mean, who do you add the third midfield? Who is it? Because you got to assume Decore and probably Van de Beek are going to be two of them. Um, I don't think you can play Deli Ali is, is the third one in there. That's way too attack minded. So does it have to be Fabian Delft? Do we think Fabian Delft is going to be a difference maker is the third person in, in midfield. I mean, he's a pretty good possession player. He's not dumb. Well, not dumb on the pitch. Uh, you know, he's good at possessing the ball. He's a good passer. He's progressive as well. I mean, he seems like he had no fit in Rafa's setup, but I think he's a good fit in Frank's setup. But boy, you mentioned his name on social media, and it's like you were firing cuss words at people. People do not like him. No, I, I do understand why because he, he he's proven to be over a period of time a bit of a liability in terms of getting him on the pitch. But there's also I think when he actually does play, he doesn't he doesn't look out of place in terms of where everybody else does. I, I don't think you could say. He's the worst player in the pitch when he's played. How can how many times can you think of Fabian Delph playing where he's completely embarrassed us? He's just, just getting him on the pitch. So I would probably play him if he was fit, like I would play Tom Davis if he was fit. But he's not going to be. So yeah, I'd go Delph to Corey and Van to beat myself. But I th- I think we're looking at the the game of turf more as as the really big one because it's it's a it is a six point and. I know we're talking about high lines. I, I, I don't think that would be what I would do for that game particularly because I know for a fact if Ashley West would start and he's swinging that ball behind our defence all night for whoever they play up front to chase down because if we, if they, if we play a high line, 
they're just going to try and expose that all night with that ball right over the top. And we, we know we're not the best defensively. So I, th- I think just adjusting, especially for that one, to make sure we don't lose it would be, would be key. I think West Ham, it's a similar thing because they'll have Antonio chasing it down. I, I, I've argued for a while that this team playing high line, I don't think with the defenders we've got, especially with injuries to Mina, particularly suits in. That's why I was really frustrated with Lampard and the Tottenham game in particular because I just thought he completely gave it away with how he set up and to, to for him to come out in the last few weeks to say the setup hasn't been a problem. I think if that was maybe another manager, he'd, he'd be getting a lot more stick than what Frank Lampard's getting for saying stuff like that. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. No question about that. So... um James, you've got the agenda on there. Uh, I kind of want—I mean, if some people have some more things to say about Patterson, I'd—I'd I'd love to have that. But otherwise, I think the international break. Um, I think Richarlison knocking a couple in and looking like he was enjoying his football, I think, is a real positive. I, I think that—that that can't hurt for sure. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you there. I mean, it is for Brazil. Uh, it is tap-ins against Bolivia, but. He just seems to have not been able to find his rhythm for Everton, partially because we've just been so freaking bad. But to the earlier comments, I mean, you guys had kind of an extended back and forth there. I just think Yerry Mina being back is going to be life-changing, could be our our lifeline, in fact, if he can stay fit. I'm curious to see how his return is handled because he's been rushed back the last couple times, understandably, given how bad we need him and what a difference maker he is. But... With these two games being so critical, do you risk another early return and potentially him getting injured and being out, or do you try to ease him back? And I guess, unless we have any other word besides the fact that he's been in light training, that doesn't sound like he'll be probably ready to go for West Ham, but perhaps for Burnley. Curious what you guys think. Alex, you haven't talked in a while. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. I think, uh, I don't think there's any way he's going to start or uh, feature on Sunday, but the Burnley match is an interesting question. I mean, it's hard to think like he could be out for that long and then come back in even just two weeks, right? Um, kind of out of nowhere, right? I mean, I just feel like I was not expecting to hear that he was going to be even close to being ready. So that's interesting. I mean, don't you feel like that came out of the blue out? I mean, that's how I felt, Alex. I was like, wait, what? Mina? I mean, it's good news nonetheless. I was rejoicing for sure. But I mean, you know, it's also, and not to not to bring the mood too, too too far down, but we also did, it was actually about a week ago now, so it's somewhat late news, but we haven't discussed it in terms of uh, the podcast. But Townsend was confirmed with the uh, ACL injury, so while Mina is returning, um, and hopefully, let's say, Delph as well, he is out for the rest of the season, so that's a bit of a bummer, although maybe not to Ryan on this one. <laughs> Frank's favorite sub that is now not going to be able to be subbed in Ryan's thrilled about it i mean obviously you, you knew as soon as he i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding, I'm kidding. God. you knew as soon as he obviously the no contact injury goes down and like grabs his knee like that's never ever good for a player especially a player who is 30 years old and uh certainly one of the veterans on the squad you i tweeted it out at the time but like you'd have to see it It'd be a miracle if he's able to come back at close to like a Premier League level, to be honest. I mean, that's a that's a lengthy rehab, though it's gotten considerably shorter. Um, 
I think we could technically be rid of him in the summer and he was obviously brought in for the previous manager. So didn't really seem like a fit with Frank, but was brought in obviously to uh, in a few situations to do a specific job coming on late to maybe shore up the defense. Um, and, and, you know, he, he has scored a fair few goals for us this season. I don't want to knock his contributions on that end, but not a style that uh, suits Frank, but he, he would have probably suited maybe the more pragmatic style of play that we're hoping to see as we try to avoid relegation. And he hasn't done much for months, but dude, he had a great first half of the year in his defense. I mean, he, I, I think you got enough bang from that guy's bucks just on the first three months. I mean, I got to give him credit. You know, I, I, you know, I, again, it was under the, that other guy, the, the manager and everything, but yeah, I mean, hard, that stinks for the poor guy. I don't know. I don't know if that affects us in the summer or the ability to move him. I'm curious what people think we should do about Mina. I mean, maybe this isn't the perfect time in the space to talk about it, but in the summer, he's got a year left. Say he gets healthy. Say he plays the rest of the year. Say he saves us. What do you do there? I don't know how much value he has out there. I don't know how many people would make a move for him. Obviously, when he's healthy, he's a difference maker for us. I think most would agree that we need to rebuild the back line. Got some ugly center back numbers. I'm happy to go through them if you want to talk about them. But he's so much better than everyone else, I think, at this point. I just kind of wonder what you do there. I mean, do you extend them from two years? The transactional costs of, like, it's so easy to say, well, sell Holgate, sell Keen, or Mina, one of the two bring in two new center halves. There's a ton of guys out there on a free, like Zagadu, who's injury prone, or, you know, so some of these guys have already moved. And there's going to be, there are a ton of center halves that are on freeze in the summer, but there's going to be a lot of movement with big clubs. Um, I think on the Discord, I don't know why our de facto version was Matthias Ginter. I, I, like, he just became like the guy that we were talking about scenarios. Everything involved Matthias Ginter. I have no idea. I mean, I like him. He's a good player, um, I don't know what you do there. I mean, what if you, what if you said, Hey, let's extend you out to 2024. He's making a lot. I think he's on like 120 a week. He's probably our highest earner. Is he worth that? How many games would it take for me to play every year for he's worth that 25? I mean, he played what 24 last year, I think 29 the year before, but this year he's, you know, not been healthy probably because he got back earlier. I, I'd love to hear what people think. I mean, I don't know. I think it'd be interesting. I mean, certainly you could stretch it out from a financial. If you extended him to 2024, I think the financial fair play implications are it probably drops by a little more than three million a year. The impact uh, for next year, at least, um, because you basically take the remaining book value and you spread it over the remaining years of the contract. I'm kind of curious what people think about that. I just I don't know. I, I guess it depends on the offer, but depends on what league we're in. Fair, fair point. Down. Oh, man, let's not. I mean, do you want to go there, Owen? Because th- this team will look totally different if we go down. Yeah, that's why. That's why I think if we're in, we stay up. I'll definitely keep him because I think I think he's quality, and I, th- I think you've just got to. It's more. I've got no real sort of logic to say why he will stay fit, but I just think he's so good. I'm. Uh, I'm a little bit mixed on it. I think. The best ability is availability. Um, I I don't see us getting more than like 10 or 12 million for him if we sell him because of his injury history. But when he's on the field, he's just such a damn difference maker. So I, I don't have a good answer. But for me, uh, guys that are constantly hurt, I usually would say shift him off. But that's just such a luxury position for us that it might be worth keeping him if we can 
bring in a couple guys and shift out a whole gator keen i mean the wage difference is big i mean certainly if you came out with that kind of financial package for someone else i don't know why i keep using ginter as an example he would probably come you know i mean th- there's a lot of other guys out there you know i don't i don't know and, and the thing is it's one of those positions where guys get banged up too like Dan Axel's agadu has been banged up all the time. That's a real question for him too. So I don't, I don't think that makes sense. Um, but it's interesting because not only say you get 10 million pounds for him, I mean, you're losing 120 a week as well, you know, so that's 6 million a year. Um, and you know, obviously you can buy an amber, you know, you spread the cost of the transfer fee over the years of the contract from a financial fair play standpoint. So we need to sell either way, but then again, if he plays 30 games, even on 120, 20K a week, I mean, he's a difference maker. So it's, it's hard. I mean, this is a tough, that's a tough decision. Kevin Thilwell in theory has to make, well, hopefully he has to make. Yeah. From, from my perspective, I think he's clearly our best center back. If he's, you know, and it feels like the injuries are consistently like muscle injuries. There's, there's nothing that would be like long-term detrimental, but he's just such a big body on a, on a football pitch that you can see why it'd be hard for him to stay fit. But I have a hard time, you know, selling our best player at that position. If we don't have the capital or the means to adequately replace him. I mean, Nick's points, right though. Availability means something totally. and by that account. You don't see Michael Keene. I mean, who's always available. So I don't, but he's limited. He can only kind of play effectively, you know, deeper. I, it's a tough spot, but I, I think most of us agree. You got to rebuild the whole back line almost in many ways. Yeah. Um, it's just where we're at, you know, and, and it's obvious. We got a couple, uh, Alex, you have any, any thoughts on Mina extension? We've got a, uh, Matt and Sean Khan from the discord who want to hop up as well. We'll get them in. It's a party. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd like, um, I'd like Mina to stay. I think he's, as everyone has, you know, mentioned, he's a difference maker. I just think like if, if he's going to stay, then maybe that's a decision to make and, and you extend him at a lower, lower rate. And, and that is like extremely hard to do that. That is some people are probably like laughing at the fact that I just said that. Um, but I don't think that 120 K like the, like the, the literally the top end of our wage bracket, something that we really need to condense anyway. Right. Like we, we should not be spending this much money. We do. So at that point, I mean, that that would be my vote. I mean, his stock's not as high as it was when he came to us from Barcelona. So you'd have to think that he's not going to find a matching. He's not going to find anyone to match his existing wages. So no matter where he goes, he'd probably have to take a cut. Um, maybe. Uh, yes, you would think that's probably right. But if that's the case, why could you extend him for less? Maybe I'm, right. I want to hear what Matt, what Matt has to say, speaking up for tall people. <laughs> oh, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? How dog shit we are, and how everybody's <laughs> mental health is constantly hanging in the balance every week, depending on which way the results swing. We had just by a thread. We hadn't broached that topic yet, but uh, you... oh, okay. Well, great. <laughs> um, speaking of King Yerold, uh, I'm I'm on the, the 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 side of the fence of defending Giants always, obviously. But apart from that, I just think, yeah, you don't want to sell your best guy. I mean, if we do knock, knock, knock on wood, we stay up and he's, you know, he's in that conversation. Get rid of Holgate first before him. No question about it. I mean, I love me some Ben Godfrey just from like an attitude standpoint. But like I'd sell Godfrey before I'd sell um, sell uh, Yeri. Just I know, you know, Godfrey's got some positional flexibility, which is nice to have. And he's obviously filled in for us in different spots. But you know, if Yeri stays healthy, he's our best guy back there. And I think unless you've got like a quality replacement you can bring in for, you know, a uh, decent price, which who knows, then 
I think you got to try to keep him before you get rid of everybody else. You want me to crack out some CB numbers or Sean Conn's on there first? Oh, man, I'd love to hear some numbers. Well, let's get Sean Conn, like- Ryan, and then you can bust out the calculator. James, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear, man. Go for it. Well, well, I think one point that hasn't been made that would be pro Mina is that Colombia didn't qualify for the World Cup. So there's all these incessant games that he's always healthy for that he will not have to worry about. So uh, I think I think that settles the debate right there. So true. A sad but good point. Sad but good point. But no, in, in all seriousness, I think. So wait, bring Hamas back? Is that what you just said? Bring Hamas back? Is that? I mean, <laughs> don't yeah, say I think, it. Don't say I, it. I, I think uh, I'm I'm pro Hamas, so uh, maybe we're both being punished for for freezing out Hamas, right? You missed a handful of qualifying games. Yeah, uh, you know his mental health with what Rafa did to him affected uh, their qualifying chances. Um, but in in all seriousness, in regards to Mina, I I know there was a really good discussion yesterday. It was funny that Ryan mentioned Ginter because I think out of all the kind of qualifying CBs that are free agents, he's the most likely that's good enough to kind of even replicate somebody like Mina. Uh, but uh, I, I think, I think at this point we almost have to really consider extending him. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because you think of what he's done when he plays for this club, it, it it's, it's immense. And it's kind of, the only positive to this year is you almost realize the value of some of these players uh, when you miss them. And, and Mina has been by far the biggest one uh, because of just the ineptitude we've had at the back. Uh, you know, it, it's not even almost him playing it's Holgate, not playing at times uh, that really makes a big difference. And I, I think, you know, of course, Stellwell he'll look in the summer, but I think we definitely have to be open to extending him a year, uh, 18 months, uh, two years. Uh, I, I think to, to Ryan's point, and, and, and this was mentioned before, I, I do think that there would be a potential of getting his wage bill down. But e- even so, I wouldn't be as arsed having him at his current wages, given that he actually plays really well for us, rather than getting somebody like Andre Gomez out, who makes just as much as he does, pretty close to it. That does absolutely nothing for us. You know, every now and then he'll, he'll have a good game. But so, I wonder if you. It, I wonder if you can do like uh, almost like an American style contract where, I mean, obviously American style, whatever the heck that means, maybe a more incentive laden deal to say, look, you know, we'll give you a base at like 85. And if you play enough games or whatever, you know, we'll get you even maybe even past 120 a week. You know, Uh, it's that might be I mean, if he if he'd be agreeable to that, it would be phenomenal, I think. And I think that's the type of risk you want to take. Um you still got to bring in someone really good, though, and and you know besides those guys, if you can move Holgate, yeah, he's English, I get it. Or um, power troops. I would just also hope, you know, going into next year, and of course, I'm not going to get into kind of it, but like how condensed the schedules have been. Like you look at, you know, especially for a player like him, like you know, we've had games at times every three days every four days, right? And I, I don't think that's going to continue in the in, in the future, right? Especially for us, we're not getting Europe this year. Um, but uh, I, I think going into next year, of course, you know, I think you all know my opinions. I'm, I'm pretty confident we're staying up. But, uh, but even going into next year, having a 38-game season, and of course, with the cup competitions, and I, somewhat of a normalized schedule, you'd hope, I would think we'll see the best version of Mina and we've seen that. And that's probably somebody that will play between, you know, 26 to 30 games for us. And I'll take that guy over, you know, somebody that 
is going to cost us money at this point, given how bad we've been in the transfer market when it comes to some of these bigger purchases, right? So that's just well, my take on it. No, I like that. Too. So here's a thought that almost backs that up. I mean, this year, think about the two times he's been injured. He was brought back early because Dean and Rafa had their tiff. So in essence, he had yeah. to shift. I think so, right? I mean, the first time, right? Didn't he shift out Ben out left back and then played Mina because he had to and well, brought him back time, a little early? Think of how bad the conditions were that game. <laughs> I mean, what a weird yeah. game to kind of bring somebody back to understand, you know, it was a big win for us. But uh, like I... I think that first time was more egregious than the second time, right? Because at least the second time, I believe he played almost the entire Brentford match, right? He subbed in for Godfrey. Right, yeah. And then he, he played the entire game, right? So at least you can make him somewhat of an argument, no matter what side you are on, that like he could have been healthy there, right? The, yeah, the I, other time, it just made no sense. Like, I think everybody, even with how bad our form was, was like, why is he back now? Like, it, it just kind of came out of left field. Yeah, it's a desperate manager that needed yeah. a win. I think my issue with the post-Brentford match is you got a match three or four days later and you throw him into the starting lineup. Now, most people would say, well, you didn't really have a choice. Well, yeah. you know, you make a choice, though, and you put a, you know, it's a risk. And it yeah. had not to get to our whole sports science con. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to even possibly rekindle that. But <laughs> if you look at that, and look, last year he what, had played like 24, 25 matches on a very tight schedule. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, tight schedule yeah. again. The yeah. year before, it was like twenty nine thirty on a normal schedule. So I, what you're saying might be right. I mean, look, uh, I, I guess you got to rely on the science staff to say, hey, look, is this guy gonna ever be fit? Is it just a? T- is it something we can manage? Um, and you got to rely on rely on their opinions ultimately. Whatever whoever's left of it of the staff. Yeah, and I think it also goes on to the style of play, right? So if we're gonna end up trying to transition to a team that's more front foot, more of a high line. Yeah, like maybe then you kind of wonder. I mean, he's more than capable of playing it, but is he more, you know, risk averse to to getting those type of injuries? Probably, right? But if we're going to be a pragmatic team, if we're going to kind of be a little bit more of a hybrid, then he's probably less averse, right? So, I mean, I think undoubtedly he's obviously a good player. We all know that. Uh, But I think even though, you know, the more I look at that list, Ryan, of available center backs, Besides Ginter and maybe Dan Axel's Agadu, I can't really see anybody that would be anywhere close to someone like him if we wanted to get rid of him. So I think we have to be a little smart in how we approach it. Yeah, that who we can get. I mean, yeah. you know, there's certain guys on there like Romagnoli, you got to figure, is going to yeah. re-up with someone. He'll probably go to Lazio. Yeah, you know, Sula's going to go to Dortmund. To enter, so it's just like a lot of these guys right. have a lot of options, right? So it's it's an but, attractive position, but it's going to take away some of the suitors as well. You know, sure. I think, yeah, I, I. The bottom line is, though, at least hopefully we've decided on somewhat of an identity, and we can do some recruitment around a singular style of play a little more so. So you know, the requirement, you know, you can rule out some of the guys like James Tarkowski should not be a thought. No <laughs> offense to people that no, it's not that he's a bad player no. necessarily, but I just don't think he's a great fit. For in theory, the way Frank wants to play, and again, he's then, a, then he's a talk- yeah, well, I, I don't know if he is uh, honestly. But the point is, then what do you do with Michael Keane? Because it's yeah, not exactly. like you're never going to be pragmatic. I, I, I don't know. These are these are tough. Um, Tough things. You wanted to hit a couple numbers here because I think some of them are kind of interesting. Yeah, Ryan, uh, hit us with the numbers, and then we'll get to a uh, couple other topics we have on the agenda here. 
I mean, I hit the mean of playing stats. Um, Which are crazy. So, yeah, they're pretty dramatic. I mean, almost so one-sided that you think they might really kind of be true. You know, you got to take numbers within context. The numbers never tell the full story. But anyway, okay, so out of 71 center halves in the Premier League, primary position center half that have played more than 500 minutes, per Y Scout, of 71 center halves, guess who is number one? In duels win percentage, Michael Keane, number one. He's won 81% of his duels. Nina's 12th. Shockingly enough, Holgate is 52nd. Um, Godfrey's in the middle of the ground. Godfrey's hard to look at the numbers because he's played fullback so much. It's just kind of a different performance thing. Uh, in terms of aerial duels, number, Mina's fourth per 90, of course, when he plays. Keane, 13th. Um where I think we really look bad is, you know, it's one thing to play deeper under Rafa. It's another thing to step up and win some balls. We just were dreadful at it. I mean, the even possession adjusted um, interceptions, P90, bad across the board. It's like Holgate 54, which is funny. He should be higher. Mina's 28th. Um, the worst part about that is Holgate is 54th, meaning as he's not stepping up and winning balls as much, but he's 7th in fouls per 90. I mean, how does that's, that happen? That's perfect for him. Yeah, Keen is 45th, and Keen actually is 63rd in fouls. I mean, almost never fouls anyone, which there's probably some negative connotations with that too, but he's stepping up and intercepting the ball more, possession-wise, adjustment-wise, yet fouling way less. I mean, great job, Mason Holgate. And then, can we talk about long passes? Our, our favorite topic we, on, the, on the podcast. Yes, let's hear it. Just skip it. So I'm sure <laughs> it's exactly what you would think it would be. So of those 71 center halves, Holgate is 8th. In long passes per 90. Uh, Keen is 46th. Godfried is 70th out of 71. Mina is 66th out of 71, which wow. is not a bad thing. I don't think that. Well, that just means they're not being aggressive and not doing it. That's okay. But then I mean, why Mina is... is a. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well let's, get to the, let's get to the completion percentage because it's exactly what you would think it would be. So Mina, short, medium pass guy, right? I mean, he's not, which he's very good at. But okay, long pass accuracy. Michael Keen despite being 46th in attempts, is 14th at 60.9% accuracy, which we've seen that, right? I think he is, his deep distribution has been very good this year. Holgate, 43rd at 51.6%. Like, seriously, man, you've got the audacity to be below average in terms of your percentage of completion on deep passes, yet you're eighth in the league. Like, okay, Pirlo, like someone has got to talk to him. And the win rate, I think I went through it. Like our performance when he has fewer than like 15 is way better. I mean, it's not even funny. Mean is 34th. You know, there aren't that many. It's not a big sample size. But to me, that is not surprising. And something like someone needs to talk to Mason and be like, dude, stop. But hold on. Hold on. If he is far and away attempting the most on the team. That Almost the most in the league. That right. That can't just be him going like wild card. I'm just gonna pass it along every time. Can it? Like, is the instruction really that loose that you would have someone like even Michael Keane has displayed decent passing range at times that he would be that low and we're just gonna let Mason like huck up hail marys for a fifty percent completion mean, rate? He's got a high number of clearances, so it's a little bit of that. It's not just that. But I mean, come on, everyone else does too on the team. It is clearly in the moment we've seen it though, James. I mean, uh, yes, that is a good question. Um at one point the manager's gotta grab him by the lapel and say, Man, stop it. You would think. The lapel. Um 
the lapel. We don't have those, I guess. I, I think that was a kind way of me saying something. My inner monologue was saying something much more aggressive. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, but it has to stop. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, surely someone had to have said it at one point. I would like Pickford to stop launching the ball too, but that's a totally different story. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm curious what people think. I mean, clearly he has a natural tendency to just send it. Um, there's some of that, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Frank is clearly seems like he's learning about the team. Now that begs the question. I thought he knew the league. That's why he was a good hire. Blah, blah, blah. You know, let's, cliche, just, cliche, cliche. Yeah. let's, uh, it's let's, not good either way. It's not good, no, man. It's, it's not, not good. it's not, it's definitely not. Um, but you can thank Bill for giving him that bumper contract a couple years. For those that don't know, Bill is the guy that has the relationship with, um, their agency, Keen, Holgate, and Godfrey have the same agent um, agency. So not surprised. Well, I mean, there's a big, I mean, I think there's a lot to say about how Ben Godfrey even came to us via transfer kind of out of the blue when it looked like we're in on Gabriel. But that that's a conversation for another day. I think Holgate's got to move on. It'll be interesting what we do. But look, none of those numbers should be overly surprising, but I think they speak loud and clear that Mason Holgate has not been so okie-dokie at center half this year. No, and I don't think you'd find many Evertonians who would advocate that, even without that context, though it definitely helps add to the conversation. But we spent a lot of time on the center backs on Yeri Mina. Uh, Good numbers there, Ryan. Appreciate it. Next topic on our agenda, and again, anyone in the audience who wants to come up and speak, feel free to put your hand up. Um, Probably don't want to spend too much time on this, only because we've talked about it so, so much already this season. But we did have to add to the saga of Luca Dean's departure, unfortunately, because purely because he made some comments to L'Equipe in an interview, said a lot. Um, But specifically on the fallout with Rafa Benitez, he said, I thought we could have a lot more possession. I felt legitimate to give my feelings. The group was unanimous, which is an interesting uh, terminology usage there. He said he was fired because of poor results. I think he had a bad philosophy. He didn't fit at Everton. And he said the relationship we had was not good. It was complicated to be excluded from the group for a month. It was an unprecedented situation in my career, but I had my family and my teammates with me. Um, I don't think there's a ton in here that we didn't already infer or know, but it's always interesting when you have a player coming out and, you know, adding some of their more of their side of the story. Um, go over to we'll definitely go to Ryan, but go to Alex to give his thoughts. Yeah, I mean, pretty much as you said, it's like it's it's not I mean, it's not surprising, but what I thought was odd and I'm definitely digging into it like pretty deep. But when he mentioned, like, I felt legitimate to give my feelings and, like, the group was unanimous. It, it, I, my question is, like, why is Coleman not doing that? Like, is not, he not the captain? And I'm not trying to, like, you know, talk bad about the guy. It's just confusing that someone like Lucas Dean would speak up for the group if the entire group, if, if it's really unanimous, why he would speak up instead of Seamus Coleman. You know, and does that situation even exist if Coleman speaks up instead of Luca Dean? Because would Benitez dare drop Coleman? He didn't really have a choice, did he? Earlier in the season, did he? Oh, that's a heavy one, Alex. I mean, I I will say this. Dean probably had the most reason of anyone to be irritated at Rafa. So the truth is probably somewhere in between, if I had to guess. Uh, Taking him off set pieces, I thought was the biggest slap in the face. I cannot believe he did that. I mean, that is that, that to me was just so unnecessary. 
Uh, we didn't improve as a result of that. Uh, and to give it to guys that you just brought in, I, I just God, I cannot believe that you would do that. It was just like you were directly trying to antagonize them. I, I don't get that at all. That just seemed to be senseless. The only thing I will say that's, I think, a new wrinkle, though, Alex, is to your point is the idea that he had people behind him. Because I did see, I don't know if I made it, but I think one of us made the point that People are like, you know, how can you, what you're doing is hurting the club. I think you can make a pretty strong point that if anything, he was almost representing the club better by insisting that we make changes. But realistically, I mean, can you go to the manager and say, hey, don't play the way Rafael Benitez normally plays. I, I don't know if you could quite, right. the way he was saying, like, we need to have more possession. Well, I, I don't think that's really necessarily the issue. Um but clearly this is a guy not known for his man management. So, um, and it was very, anyone that makes a claim that he was going, I mean, he left because of Rafael Benitez. I cannot believe that anyone would still continue to argue this. I mean, when I hear people say, well, his agent was looking around this just in folks every single year, especially when managers change, every player's agent looks for clubs. Every one of them does like people are like, well, James Rodriguez Mendez was looking around for are you kidding this looks team every week for these guys I mean, come on let's not be naive that does happen that means anything or tells us um but man it's hard to look at that and say we wouldn't be a heck of a lot better off with him at left back it is all very disappointing for sure i just think it points to the fact that this is at least for my personal anxieties about the team is that I don't really care who we bring. I'm glad we have a new director of football. I think that's great. I'm glad there's ostensibly some changes happening at the board level, it seems like. But, like, as long as Moshiri's in charge and Bill is the chairman, I'm nervous because these guys have just shown year after year that they make terrible decisions about how to run this club. And I just think that, like, we're always going to be in some sort of trouble while the two of them are in charge. Do we feel any better knowing that pretty being brought back was very much there was no one else literally convinced him? It seems like he had the full authority to do that. I I don't think that's enough of an illustration for us to feel better about the situation, is it? I don't feel much better about it personally. That's just my take. I mean, this uh, again, we we don't need. If if other people want to chime in on this, I mean, we've talked about it so much, but this was like the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people in terms of their views of the ownership, not the Dean. I mean, the Dean thing on top of the red saboteur thing, it was like, okay, before I was kind of like, okay, maybe these guys are just kind of finding their way. Yeah. They've had some missteps and we've had some horrible decisions, but this was like, and coincidentally like dealing with some, some similar things in my professional life. It's like, you could see this coming a mile and a half away. And yet you just, for some reason, continued to persist with this ridiculous, you know, path. And it went exactly the way everyone sort of expected and thought it might. Um, and you just completely failed. Um, it just sucks. Like he completed 90 minutes for France the other day. We need the left back. It's, it was just so bad, but it does. I, I think the other interesting, just the, the nature of the, the group being unanimous, like, did he walk in? Did Benitez walk in on day one or like after the first couple of games, everyone's like, we're not having this like we're just not down with this style of play at all this is terrible this is horrible and that's why he needed the guys that he brought in and gray and townsend to advocate for 
uh, for him. Um, and, and to Alex's earlier point about Dean raising it, I mean, versus Coleman. I mean, Dean was definitely considered a, a leader in the locker room. He had captained Everton a handful of times in a handful of matches. Um, that said, I don't know what the, like, doesn't strike me as a manager who's super receptive to feedback of that nature when you're like, hey, the way you've played your entire career and your entire philosophy is oriented around, let's do less of that and more of this other thing. I know, but you got to explain that to the player and how they fit in. I mean, I, I just, uh, to, to Owen's earlier point, I mean, there's one thing to be pragmatic, pragmatic in his mind. And I think Owen's ways described it was very good was to say, you make the best of kind of what you got. You know, that doesn't necessarily indicate a particular style of play necessarily. It's just kind of how it is. Um, he was anything but that. I mean, yeah, we could beat the rough thing into the ground. I think we have talked about it quite a bit. Um, if someone else has something to say about it, great. Um, but otherwise, um, I did not see Anthony Gordon play, uh, by the way, in the U21s. But I'm kind of curious what people think about if everyone's healthy up there in the attack. I mean, is Anthony Gordon a starter now? Or, or would you put in Richarlison coming off a successful break? And assuming Frank's going to play 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, um, is there a place for Anthony Gordon? Or, or do we see him probably coming? Coming off the bench, making way for Gray and Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I'm kind of curious what people think. I'm a big advocate for bringing him off the bench and running him at tired legs. Um, I kind of echo what, what you say, Ryan, about him. I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's been our best player this season. He's the reason. He's the only one I want to keep. I'm kind of looking at it like, yeah, he's good. He brings a ton of effort, but there hasn't been a ton of end product besides a couple deflected goals here or there, you know, a good assist here or there. Um, I'd rather have Gray and Richarlison on our wings and let him come off the bench at 60 minutes and run at these outside backs and make them look silly then. Uh, I don't think we really necessarily wanted him to be playing as much as he has this year. I don't think he's still polished and ready enough to be doing it. Um, and hopefully with Richie and Gray fit, he won't have to. I'm a big advocate of bringing him off the bench for 25, 30 minutes a game. No, I think he'd be devastating. I think that way. I really think that. I know. And, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I just kind of view the team and the performance as more of a portfolio, I, I think. By the way, when I when I looked at performance and positions, Damari Gray is far and away the best out of everyone in their particular position relative to the league. Like, I, I run some p composite metrics and stuff, and I got Gray as like best um left wing i gotta look at how many but out of like 31 or something i mean he his numbers are pretty darn darn impressive um yeah i mean gordon doesn't even have an assist from open play in the league and he's got three goals two of which were deflected that, that's what i keep saying I'm, i just yeah i mean i think that puts him in a good position to succeed i, I understand why he he needed to play before you know I, i'm not i'm not against that but i think if you're going into kind of a relegation battle you probably want the guys that may be a little more tested that's just me um, and I, man, I just, I do, I do, I think he could be totally devastating off the bench with his energy pace, um, desire fight. I mean, it just, it's, it's almost perfect, you know, say it right. I think with, uh, say the S word. No, go ahead, Sean. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, with, I think the biggest crime we've done to somebody like Anthony Gordon is literally play the guy into the ground. Like, I mean, you know, you, I, I totally agree with, uh, you know, what, what you said, Nick and Ryan in regards to him coming off the bench, but. Even you look at the week ahead, I, I think you should start one of those games, right, if we're doing some sort of rotation in regards to trying to keep guys fresh. But my fear is he's going to start every single game and he's going to play 90 minutes every game, right? And I think we're just doing a disservice to someone like him, you know, especially, too, you think of a relegation battle and a young player. Like, I, 
I know he's he's shown that he's one, you know, uh, kudos to him for being healthy because, you know, half of our players can't be healthy through a long, a long stint like that. But I, I just think it's hurting his performance, him playing that many minutes. And, and you know, to your point, we ha- that's the one position of depth we actually have is kind of those wings. I'm not going to say his name because, you know, how much I hate him. But, like, Awobi, uh, you know, Gordon, Gray, like, I just think that's a place where we could do actually do some rotation. So, I would hope that, you know, with three games in seven days that he doesn't play every single minute. Going to get a, just quickly, if anyone else wants to chime in, feel free. Going to get James Shea up here. He's been waiting, uh, just was waiting for an opportunity to sneak him into the combo. But yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I just, I just think he's been put on such a pedestal. I love the kid, but it's just not there for him in terms of stuff coming off and He'll be good for years to come, and clearly he, he loves it here, and hopefully he'll stay. But the situation calls for something a little different. Uh, people, you know, and I think Frank maybe did him a little bit of a disservice as well by some of the comments that he's made. Credit to Gordon for the endeavor, as Ryan said, the work rate, the passion. You know, like, I you can't even imagine what it's like for the kid to grow up in Evertonian, to come in really the first – one of the closest relegations – chances of his lifetime and he's in the thick of it with the weight of every single fan and he knows what it means no question about it it's just got to like weigh on him and i'm sure you know something that causes him to lose sleep you would think that's just a lot of pressure to put on a 20 year old kid it's crazy yeah amen to that uh, yeah i definitely want to hear what james has to say it's I, you know this is a little bit of a polarizing topic and Maybe I overreact to everyone's just absolute adoration for Gordon. I don't mean to be that way. I just I want to see him succeed. I just think there's a good way to do it. But, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to manage the squad the next two matches, though. I mean, Sean's right. I mean, that's going to be interesting to see how he does it. Um, these are two huge matches. I mean, we get some positive results here. The, the whole season changes a lot, I think. So yeah, I, I, I don't want to keep beating it into the ground on Gordon because people think I'm trashing the kid. <laughs> Not, he's just a kid, James. <laughs> yeah, it's He's, I mean, I feel like I'm a kid and he's like, he's like seven years younger than me and he's on the biggest stage, biggest football stage, at least league wise in the world with all this, just so much pressure on him. Um, I feel for him and he's doing his best. He's doing what he can, but I just think at this stage of his career, we need something, something a little bit more proven, but yeah. Um, James Shea, you're, I, I don't know if you're there, if you want to chime in on this, we're also going to talk, I think probably move on to the sleeve sponsor here in a minute but go ahead sorry i saw you unmuted oh no no worries can you guys hear me yeah man loud and clear all right cool um yeah kind of to everyone's point um about gordon uh it's it's coming from you know being from liverpool and understanding you know what it means to play for everton and you know probably more so than some of the other players just from growing up there and being around the club for so long I wonder if, you know, kind of forcing him into this starting role and then the fans kind of forcing this, not leadership position, but, you know, unanimous favorite or semi-unanimous. I wonder if that's hurting him in the sense that the pressure is forcing him to try things that, not that he's not good at, but that he's, you know, not comfortable doing, which is why we are seeing a lot of the production that we would have hoped for from him. So I'm wondering if, you know, switching it up to bringing him off the bench would alleviate some of that pressure where it's just like, you know, everyone around him's tired. You know, it still kind of seems like he's getting his stamina. Seems like he kind of runs himself into the ground around the same time every game. 
Um, so I wonder if bringing him off the bench would kind of like lighten the load of everything around him that's going on. I don't think Gray's great for 90 minutes either. He seems like he maybe is more of a 75, 8 minute guy. So, the, you know, that could work out. Yeah. And, you know, Awobi's had his, to, I'm sure Ryan's very happy, had, you know, a little bit of a resurgence. We've seen, excluding, you know, even excluding the, the goal against Newcastle, you know, kind of more towards the style of play that fits him better. So the I think the options in the wing are there. You know, we won't mention the the loney we have that should probably never see minutes for us, but you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to work the lineup in so that he doesn't have to bear the full weight of it because it you know, it kind of feels like some of the players are shying away from not the limelight, but you know, some of the pressure and the criticism and the intensity and you know, that's a lot for a 21-year-old or however old he is to to take on. Yeah, I think I actually think it's the depth in the position is actually I think a really good point to bring up. It's like it's probably our deepest position, and yet this is you know we're just consistently giving him minutes. Um, now, obviously, right wing has been kind of thin, but you can shift guys either side, and we can have a fluid front three, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, in terms of what's what's been working and what hasn't been working, sometimes Gordon stuff works. A lot of times it doesn't, and when it does, it doesn't actually result in a lot of end product. So I just think trying something a little different will will benefit Frank a great deal. But we're going to give a, a last call for any comments on Anthony Gordon, anyone on stage or anyone in the audience who wants to come up. Um, feel free. Otherwise, we're going to talk sleeve sponsor quickly and probably wrap things up. Uh, it's not about uh, Anthony specifically, but um, I, I saw that at the start of the international break that uh, Dom is, you know, going through his quote unquote intensive training, you know, to try to get back to match fitness or back into form. Do we think having, if Dom is magically able to get back in form in two weeks without games, um, you know, having Dom, the version of Dom that we had last season, do you think that would help Gordon's production at all? Do we, do we think that, you know, ha- missing the out and out, you know, goal scorer in Dom has hurt him at all? I mean, I think it's going to improve the whole team. Um, I don't know if it'd be Gordon any more than anyone else, really. I, I, look, even when Dominic Calvert-Lewin is not finishing like he did the first half of last year, he makes a difference. He also pushes Richarlison over to one side where he normally has physical matchup advantages. Now you've got a guy who is maybe undersized slightly as a target guy that can kind of fend people off and hold it up from the wing. I think he just makes a massive difference to this team. I, I cannot stand people on social media that say we need to repl- sell him for whatever and replace him with the 2025 20, goal scorer. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. A guy had 16 goals in the league last year from open play, didn't take penalties. I think combined he had like 20-some goals. It's just, it's just madness. Uh, I think he's a big difference maker. Even if he's not firing on all cylinders, think the kind of trickle down of the effect makes a big difference. I understand why you'd say that though, James, it's not a crazy idea that Gordon, who, if Gordon's going to play on the right, has shown some ability to cross the ball. Um, Dom's probably a better guy to get on the end of it. And, and look, I'll tell you what, Anthony Gordon, when he gets his head up, my God, he can deliver a ball. And, and I just think as you, another reason, maybe to bring him on later, when people are tired, you've got a little more time and space on the ball at the end of games. Uh, you see it when he gets his head up, man, like the Richarlison close header. That was the one time in the match where he had a little time, a little space, got his head up and just, you know, worked a ball in beautifully. You see in training how well he strikes the ball. 
Um, so yes, I think so. Um, but I think his impact on the team is just massive either way. That's my take. I'm curious what, you know, Alex or James might, might think as well. Alex, you want to chime in? If not, I can go. I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited for Dominic Cavalier to, to reintegrate into the team. I mean, I, I'm really pretty much in the same boat that Ryan is on this. Like he's going to make the team better. Um, I definitely think that, uh, I will say this. I mean, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes back. We need to see Richie on the left, in my opinion. So whether that's Gordon, as you mentioned, on the right, or Gray first and foremost, um, I definitely think that should be the setup for playing with a front three. But I also think that, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, uh, he might be able to help Frank a lot in in implementing a style that maybe is more possession-based. Because we've been trying, and, and Richarlison kind of struggles in that sort of setup. Um, I think he's been struggling in that regard. Um, I mean, he does a, a good job, and he's a pretty physical player um but i think that it really will kind of help the style of play as well and and hopefully it'll improve the team as a whole yeah i mean he's been between him and mina like those two guys i think are probably the biggest difference makers for us that we've missed the most um and i you know ryan mentioned earlier the people i think it's a small minority but the people who say like we just need to get like a proven uh, twenty to twenty five goal score, those people are like just like bots. I think like that's yeah, a, just do that. Just do it's that. A, no problem. Right. Just, just fine. They said the same thing with like Lukaku. They've said you know you just oh we just need a proven proven goal score. Yeah, they don't grow on trees and they don't come for less than fifty million. So, um, you know, there's been and, and we actually had it on the agenda to talk about kind of the Arsenal rumors surrounding Dominic Calvert Lewin. Um, his agency came out saying that he's focused on the remainder of the season with Everton, which obviously, you know, they would say is the professional response and really the only response uh, in light of the circumstances. But I just, he's such a critical guy for us. If we can get him playing 90 minutes regularly for us, it's just inevitable we're going to score more goals because he just takes so much attention away from the guys on the wing, frees up space for Gray, for Richarlison, for Gordon to do things. So, yeah, James, I think you you made a really good initial point, I think. But then to Ryan's point, anyone on the front line is going to benefit because he's such a problem for, for opposition center halves that he's going to draw a lot of attention, free up space, and allow them to, to do their thing. And then his ability to, to finish in the box, you know, hopefully he's sharp and ready to go and can uh, just really get the same type of goals he was getting last season, which is nothing flashy but just clinical finishing when the opportunity arises. The numbers bear it out, too. We score more goals when he's on the pitch per 90, and we do almost anyone else. Um, I mean, it's 1.53 when he's on. It's higher than everybody. I mean, that, that, that's, that is not an entire coincidence. You know, XG's highest when he's on the pitch, too. And I think those uh, the group that's, you know, advocating to sell him, I, I think those are the same people that were advocating to sell Luca. Uh, you know, when it, everything first started happening. Or after he got cut out and was, you know, got the yeah. Umar Nias treatment. I think it's just the same crowd. And they just get – I think it's a it's a not them being defensive, but I think, you know, they value the club over the individual players. And as long as the players show that they love the club, they'll 100% back them. But the minute anything happens where it's the club versus the player, where like, you know – Luca, the media kind of made it seem at first that he was creating problems and Rafa was the responsible manager and, and benched him to kind of put that fire out. But we know that's not true. And then same thing with Dom, you know, the media's painting it like, oh, there's trouble at Everton. We might get relegated. So Dom's looking to leave. So he's just kind of cashing it in 
Just yeah, like, because the media is so reliable. Like, <laughs> how do people not realize when Benitez was hired that he has his handful of media cronies? I mean, it was so obvious. How do you not know that? He was part-time working in media at times. You had Guillaume Balage. I was on Guillaume's freaking show, and we talked about this. I mean, how? why would you so openly advocate for someone that clearly, and he was a little more reasonable when we were on the pod, but how, how could you, I mean, wake up. I mean, of course, it's media-driven. It's narrative. They love to fire us up, man. It's the same stuff that every time, you know, someone has to say something about the Pickford's going to lose the number one job in England. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's just whatever, man. You know, I, I don't know. I will say this, though. Um, speaking of media coverage, why is no media person really ever brought up or emphasized until now the sleeve sponsor deal? Like, I, I want to shift gears to that because we've been on this for a while. That That's the one I'm really curious about. I, this idea that we suddenly have all these sponsors that we had to turn down because we didn't meet our valuation. Wait, what? We just left dollars on the table? Does that make any sense whatsoever to me? I, I just, I don't know. That's a That was a really strange, I think, report. Did anybody else feel that? I sure did. This was a, this is a weird one, and I have a uh, contentious relationship with Everton sleeve sponsors. In that, Angry Birds was like my arch nemesis. I hated, I hated that stupid logo on the sleeve. Um, and th- the report is uh, from the Echo that, as Ryan alluded to, rejected a number of bids from companies to become the shirt sleeve sponsor. Don't meet the value that the club have in mind, or the direction that the club want to take, which I think is an important kind of secondary condition there. They're currently the only Premier League club without one. So you'll go to a club like Everton, people's club, very community oriented, and yet they're awash in a sea of sleeve sponsors who I'm guessing are probably gambling companies, alcohol companies, all these sorts of things that maybe don't align with the brand as perceived. Um, And so you have this sort of conflict where, you can take no money and have no sleeve sponsor, which for me, at least as a fan who purchases kits, uh, I'm okay with because, you know, no sleeve sponsor, I think just looks better, but you're leaving money on the table and you, instead of having a, let's say your valuation's 10 million a year and you're getting five, six, seven million, well, now you have zero. And so that's obviously much, much worse. Um, and given the circumstances we find ourselves in, you know, that $7 million or whatever the valuation is, X dollars, every dollar counts. It can go a really long way. Um, but do you compromise your brand if it's some, I don't know, you know, foreign gambling company or some ridiculous uh, cryptocurrency that wants to throw their, you know, a picture of a dog or like a poop on the, sh- on the sleeve of the shirt? Like, where do you draw you really the line? Are, are, you, are you seriously trying to think of the only thing that would be worse to have on your sleeve than Angry Bird and you came up with a poop? Is that <laughs> seriously what just happened? Yes. So, all right. So for frame of reference, I, I don't think you're going to get more than one or two million a year for a sleeve sponsor. I, I think that's generally what I thought our deal was before with Roxio or whoever the heck did the Angry Birds. Uh, number two, I think you're totally discrediting and missing the fact that we literally had Jank Tosin's head and Thea Walcott, and so I can't remember who else it was, superimposed into the Angry Birds game. That alone, I mean, that is ridiculous if you think about it. Like, the pictures of them, like, Jenk Tosin literally is, like, part of the game. I mean, that's that is it. That's almost as crazy as the Alex Awobi ad with the pangolin. I, that is, I want that. 
also in a way. But yes, I get your point, James. Um, what do you bet, though? What do you bet? What do you bet? We're going to have a gambling company as our main kit sponsor next year. What do you bet? Um, you're right, though. It, it, it's hard to sit there. Like Kevin Thelwell finally you know, gave his interview a couple weeks ago. I don't know why we haven't heard more from him. But um, talking about identity, identity, identity. And I do agree, if you have a stronger identity, um, you know, brands will maybe flock more to you to advertise because there's kind of a mutual element of beneficiary there, you know. Um, I just don't think we have a strong enough identity to be able to say, hey, you know, come join the thing with us. You know, I, I think that's important. Um, we're not there yet. Will we be there in the summer? I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. But I cannot believe that. I mean, there's no way we didn't leave a million bucks on the table. Would that have made a difference? I don't know. That's my take, at least. Anyone on stage have any thoughts on the sleeve sponsor? We also have a uh, someone. It's a strange topic. Too. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I totally think we're agree. holding. Out, I think we're holding out for one eight hundred cars for kids. <laughs> oh boy, you really did that, didn't you? Who was the one that hated that so much? <laughs> This is a Discord inside joke, but honestly, there is some serious venom about that commercial. Like, wow. I mean, they're just kids like playing, and it's it's this annoying jingle that for those of you who aren't living in states, I hear it all the time on the radio if I'm listening to regular like sports talk radio in DC. Um, and it is really annoying but kind of catchy. But the venom that people had on the Discord for that commercial, I was taken aback. Um, and I'm supposed to be like the bad guy. Like that was oh, wow, you guys really don't like that thing. In, in all seriousness, no. I, I think the only kind of company I can see us partnering with at this point might be one of those crypto cur uh, companies that are going to pay a lot. But I also do wonder if, from the commercial side of things, if they're very wary on some of these wishy-washy companies with kind of what's gone on in regards to the whole Russia, Russia deal, that I think they're going to try to be maybe, a, I don't know if Farhad's being a bit you know, more conservative on any sort of commitment when it comes to something like that. So he's got to be nervous, right? I mean, you know, oh, it's not, I mean, you can't, you can't say the guy's got no links, you know? So yeah. despite what he mechanically has agreed to do, um, it's a weird situation to be I'm in. I'm sure that. the Usmanov thing is very scary to him right now. And just kind of also too, you know, obviously he's put a ton of money in the club, right? No matter what your opinions are of him, he has done that. So, but I, I think just, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I think he, I would hope, and, and it's, it's a sad thing to say, but I would hope this whole thing kind of forces him to actually maybe trust some of the, the brain power that we actually have at the club to make some of these decisions. Yeah. And just quickly, you know, in addition to the Uzmanov stuff, not just recent sponsors, right? Sport Pesa had their whole, you know, catastrophe that happened, fortunately, after they were our sponsor, but you do have to do a fair amount of due diligence there. Um, we have Steve on stage. Steve, I don't know if you wanted to to chime in on the sleeve sponsor talk or just sponsorship in general, c commercial prospects for Everton or anything like that. Or anything. Yeah, is that is that me? Uh, is it okay? I'm not American. Yeah, am I yeah, okay yeah. to speak? You're fine. It's late though where you are, I'm guessing. It is, yeah, but when, when you're in Everton, you don't sleep at the moment, do you? You're a little bit worried. <laughs> You're right. No, that's we try and time it right so we get a good mix. Uh, usually we do. This is probably a little later than we'd prefer to do it. But yeah, welcome, man. I, I think from what I'm listening to, I do worry that we're taking the negative slants on everything. And things like the sleeve sponsorship, we could look at negative 
we're not taking money, we're leaving dollars on the table, as you're saying. But really, are we not just waiting for the right sponsor to come along to say, look, we, we want to sponsor you in the summer or, you know, because um, Kazoo is going as well. So we're going to be another sponsor in the summer. Is it that we want everything to tie up in the summer? But because there's a negative slant on things now, we're looking at things in the wrong way. And the other point I want to make is about Dominic Calvert-Lewin and the stories about him with Arsenal and everything. That actually was started from within. And I, I don't want to offend anyone with the relationships they've got with certain people who tell us about little bits of insider information. But that was started on one of these Twitter spaces one night when they, the person said, make no bones about it, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is talking to his agents. And it all started from there. And I remember thinking that night, that guy's going to have everyone on his back now because thinking he wants to go. And sure enough, it's happening now. And we've got to be very careful that we we can't just believe all the negative stuff. I mean, there's enough negative stuff happening on the pitch without believing everything is negative of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. That's fair. I mean, conversely, it is very natural to, over several years, have a lack of faith and confidence in the people running the commercial end. Uh, maybe we're being a little harsh, though, Steve. That's true. And, and not everything they've done has been bad. And I, and I will say one thing that is worth noting. I don't think that the values, the core values of Everton, which a lot of people maybe think that aren't as important as others, I happen to think they are. I think it's the one thing that kind of binds us all together. Um, having had the opportunity to meet a lot of different people, both from overseas as well as the States and other places. I mean, it's what we bond over. I mean, the people that we talk to, it's unbelievable how, you know, within five, 10 minutes, you're like, yeah, this is kind of one of my type of person. So Everton's clearly done something right in that regard. And maybe it's us as supporters, but yeah, I don't, I don't want us to, I hope at least it's apparent, at least on our podcast, that when we're talking about things, we, we do try and be somewhat objective. I mean, we have no desire to be um, like there's kind of the debate with Arsenal TV where they almost profit. Granted, we're not really profiting, but they almost profit off controversy and bad things that go on with the club. You know what I mean? So I hope we're not coming across that way. Um, you know, it's it's more in the pursuit of objectivity. Yeah, yeah, certainly I, I, wild speculation and rumor stuff that was really I, like I don't like to make predictions and stuff. I think that can be taken a very, very bad way and wrong way, I think. Does that make sense, Steve? You know what I'm saying? It it does, and I wasn't meaning it on this podcast alone. I wasn't meaning it on this space alone. No, 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 I didn't I was meaning the general direction is negativity at the moment, and that's quite obvious that we're all gonna be in that that headspace at the moment because I'm fifty two. Um, and for me, this is the first time ever I've really been worried. I was there at Wimbledon um, and Coventry games on the final day of the season and worried about us being there, but I've not been this worried before. So it's obvious that it, it takes us to that negative mindset, but I wasn't meaning this this podcast no, no, alone. Let me throw something at you real quick. Um, so I think a lot of people... I'm. I don't find it difficult at all, but like, I feel like when I'm being maybe critical 
you know, I put my analyst hat on and, you know, I do some scouting and stuff like that. So I, I, I try and be objective when I'm evaluating a player like Nathan Patterson, for example. But I would never carry that over when I'm at Goodison and boo someone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I view those as such separate things that I don't view that as being, I don't view it as even being remotely toxic. But, but I could see how someone could look at that and say, oh, you just don't like them. Like, no, 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 it's totally different. I, I mean, the first, I hope to dear God, he's the best player in the history of mankind. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do think that's a, I hope we do a decent job of making that distinction, but that distinction is really important. Like there's when you're talking just objectively about the team, much as though you would do at the pub, but my heavens, the second they step on the pitch, I mean, I'm rooting like hell for them. I mean, I'm the one who's, I mean, my God, when a Wobie scored the other day, I about had a cardiac arrest and scared the daylights out of the rest of my family screaming like a hyena downstairs, you know, and that that's how I would expect us all to be, whether you like Alex Awobi or not, you know, it's irrelevant. Like I, I find it really hard to wrap my head around the fact that someone, because as some desire to be right or wrong, and there've been plenty of players that I think I've gotten wrong, or at least in certain aspects of them, like that would trump your desire for Everton to do well. So, um, I think it's an important thing to carry that positive message about how much we love the club, maybe more so than we do, because you're right. It's not a good situation to be in now. And, you know, I, I think you're making a very good point. I, I think it's an important thing to, to emphasize and talk about a little bit more though. So I, I really appreciate your comments. Yeah. And, and what you're saying there about cheering on the players now, I mean, I have been, um, like I say, 52, I've been going there for 48 years. Okay. I live in Scotland now, so I don't go to many games at all. But I've never been so disenchanted with the players in my life. And I've seen some, with season tickets over 30 years, I've seen some really bad players. But I've never seen so many players with so little heart. And that's what worries me. And that's the difference between, you can cheer on the Tony Hibberts who didn't have that much skill, but had the heart. Barry Horn, hardly any skill, but had the heart. And they kept us up. But when you actually look at the players we've got now, like Michael Keane, who gives away an own goal and then just folds. Holgate, who chews gum through a game. And I know you you guys over in America love to chew gum through a game, but this guy is wrong for doing it. it I mean, th- honestly, I am so worried about the players we've got there. It makes it hard to cheer them on, you know? And it, which makes it even more for me that we've we've got to... Keep away from the negativity and the clickbait that we're seeing from all the media outlets that we see at the moment. Do you think that's why people respond so, um, like, I, I, I'm very su- surprised sometimes at the response that Evertonians have when people are critical of Pickford in terms of, like, he shouldn't be or should be number one. So many people are like, well, his form with Everton is brilliant. I mean, I think, objectively speaking, his form with Everton is, at best, mediocre over the last couple of years. But still, that response is like... You know, it's kind of like, hey, that's our guy. We can criticize him. You freaking stop that. You know, I, we almost need a little bit more of an us versus them maybe mentality, you know, because yeah. I do feel like we're getting a bad rap sometimes in the press. But, you know, sometimes also this year you're thinking we deserve it. Sadly, you know, God, it's so, you know, before we've almost lost a little of that. Maybe that's a big part of it. You know, we could always at least point to some bad luck with injuries and some other things like, wait, we're not that bad. You stop it. We beat you last week. That type of mentality. But boy, that's hard to do right now. Everyone's still in the dumps. Yeah, you do that. That backs against the wall. And you you look what Mourinho's done over the years of he, he takes the fall for his players and says, look what they're trying to do to us. And that that bonds all the all the players together. I just don't think the players that we've got can do that. 
which is, I keep on saying it, but it really worries me. You know, we these players have thrown so many managers and so many different types of talented managers under the bus. And we've got to find a way. And Frank Lampard has come in, tried to build the confidence, but even he's come out and said, sometimes players just don't have the bollocks for it. We've, we've, we've got to find a way as, as fans and as a club of, of coming together. And this is what I'm saying about we've got to keep away from that negativity that we see in the media because they're trying everything they can. You look at, I mean, I don't know if you guys over there listen to or see that much of talk sport, but everything is negative towards us, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 It's actually, they bring the talk sport feed into Sirius XM sometimes in the afternoons. And obviously we see it on social media. And the funny part is that a lot of these guys, the takes are so laughable. I mean, if I really wanted to be a jerk about it, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times during the day I look at something and I just want to trash the take because it's just designed to do one thing. And that's wind people up. That, that is a little different. Like we don't see that quite as often in America um, as I think you guys get over there in terms of like intentionally trying to wind people up through the media. I, I don't know if it's just a little more subtle or how it works. But, I, you know, I don't know. It, it, it is pretty extreme sometimes, though. And the Dominic Calvert-Lewin stuff, the second someone gets a chance to jump on that, oh, they're loving it, right? Because they know it spins people up. I mean, it's just it's kind of ridiculous, really. Yeah, it, it, it does. And it, and it goes on with all clubs, potentially. But we see it, and it's more in focus for us because it's our club. But um, I think we've got, to, we've got to be careful of just not listening to it and just focus on what we've got to do as fans. You know, and make Goodison that fortress because those players alone are not going to do it. They need us. I think that's exactly right, Steve. And I think that's honestly a perfect note to to end the space on. So appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us some much needed grounded perspective there. And thanks, everyone. I know there's a few stragglers still in the audience. Appreciate everyone uh, who came up and spoke. We will be releasing this, like I said, uh, as a podcast, hopefully tonight. I just got to take it and edit it. If you're not already follow, following us, uh, please do so. We'd love to have you and we'll follow you back. Uh, otherwise, we look ahead to West Ham and hopefully the boys in blue can pull out three points. We'll be with you following that. Until then, up the toffees. <laughs>